media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. To comply with the governor's proclamation declaring a state of emergency in Maryland to minimize the person-to-person -person spread of COVID-19, we suggest that citizens stay home and watch the commissioner's meeting live on our QAC website at www.qac.org live or on QAC TV's television channel, Atlantic Broadband Channel 7 or 77. To maintain social distancing, seating will be limited to accommodate social distancing guidelines. We are screening all meeting participants prior to entering the building. If you have any respiratory symptoms such as fever, cough, shortness of breath, please refrain from attending the meeting and notify a health care provider. We acknowledge your participation, and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. The scheduled agenda is available outside of this meeting room on the information table. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, you must sign the sheet on the information table outside. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. During the meeting, we would ask that you turn off all electronic devices and hold personal conversations outside of our meeting room. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If we can remain standing for a moment of silence, uh, last week Queen Anne's County lost a father, husband, and business owner, Richard Brushka, passed away, and I'd like a moment of silence for him and his family. Thank you very much. All right, Commissioners, we just had a closed session under Section 3-305B7 of the General Provisions Article to, to consult with Council, and under Section 305B1 to discuss boards and commissions. So um, next we have the uh, approval of tonight's agenda. The agenda for today's meeting, August 11th, 2020, and the regular and closed session minutes from your July 28th meeting and the minutes from your July 14th Sanitary Commission meeting were distributed electronically for review. Are there any additions or corrections? We have uh, one correction uh, to our, I guess, do we have to make a, a new motion also with this or just a correction? Just as amended. You're going to amend the minutes, yeah. Just amend. We're going to amend the min minutes. Uh, we are appointed, this is for the Planning Commission. Uh, we made two appointments at our last meeting, and we had the uh, years of those appointments incorrect. We had them both at four years, and they weren't. They're both to finish out existing terms. So Arthur Ebersberger to fill the remaining unexpired term on the Planning Commission to begin immediately and end December 31st, 2022. And Kathy Diotis to fill the remaining unexpired term on the Planning Commission to begin immediately and end December 31st, 2020. Well, we're going to, and then in addition to that, add desk item 12 to the agenda. So I will make a motion to accept the meeting minutes as amended and the agenda as amended. Second. I have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. That brings us to our first press and public comments period. So thank you for taking the time to express your views to the County Commissioners during this public comment period. Comments are limited to three minutes in length per person. 
Comments longer than three minutes should be submitted in writing. When you come forward, please speak clearly in the standing microphone. State your name, address, and topic of interest. Keeping with the dignity of the office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. This commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. We ask as a courtesy to the board and our citizens that you respect the commissioner's request and refrain from naming citizens and name-calling when offering any critique. So anybody sign up? No one signed up to speak, and there's no one in the room, so moving on. All right, commissioners, we can flip over to tab number two. We have the Department of Public Works here this evening for their monthly updates. Alan Quimby, the director of Public Works, and we have Director of Animal Services, Ramon Villatoro, for the update on animal services. I think he's going to go first. So good to see you both. Good afternoon. I'm here to discuss uh, the shelter operations, uh, but first I'd like to thank Todd Mon and Steve Wilson and the rest of the commissioners. Uh, you know, I want to express my gratitude on behalf of our staff and the animals. Uh, thank you for taking the animal services uh, contract. So. Now, uh, these numbers are for shelter operations uh, based from March 7th, 2020. Uh, today, we've had 442 animals enter our shelter. We've had 280 adoptions, uh, six animals reunited with their families, and 24 animals uh, transferred to other animal welfare organizations. Uh, we have euthanized 16 animals due to medical reasons. Um, to be classified as a no-kill animal <laughs> shelter, you must maintain about a 90% live release rate. And currently we're holding a 96% live release rate. Um, so we're really proud of, the, of, of maintaining that number. Just a, a quick question if I can interrupt. Sure. Um, uh, you, the 16 that were euthanized, you, you said for medical reasons. Could you just, for the TV audience, sure. just examples of what would be a medical reason? So we take in, right now it's considered the kitten season, so we take in a lot of uh, unweaned uh, orphan kittens that sometimes just do not thrive uh, without their mother. Um, so despite, you know, all our best efforts, despite the foster parents' efforts, sometimes they just fail to thrive, and we have to do what's best for their, you know, uh, quality of life. Um, and we also have many, you know, since we are the open admission shelter, we can't turn animals away, so we take in, a, you know, many sick animals. And, of course, we exhaust all options medically, you know, within our power, um, but we always look at what's in the best interest of the animal, and if prolonging their suffering, uh -huh. um, we, we make the decision to euthanize. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Uh, so COVID-19 brought many challenges to our shelter. Uh, we wanted to house as many of our dogs in foster during the pandemic. Um, today we, we have sent 200 animals into our foster program. Um, we are continuing to push for more foster care <coughs> recruitment, um, especially for a Doggy Day Adventure Program. Um, and this program is designed for the public to come in, take a shelter dog for a short period of time. It could be a day, a weekend, uh, overnight. Um, and what they usually do is they go on a car ride, they go to a park, a hike. Um, and we've seen a lot of great benefits from this program. 
Um, we, you know, many of our animals, we don't have as much information, you know, how they would do in a car drive, how they would do in a home setting. Um, so this program allows us to provide valuable information to our adopters, as well as kind of give them a break from the stressors of the kennel environment. Um, so we're focusing on recruiting for this program. Um, our adoption rates have continued uh, to rise during the past few months, especially uh, surprisingly during the pandemic. Uh, we didn't know what to expect, um, but we've seen great success in our adoption program. Um, last year, our average length of stay for animals, cats and dogs, was around 18 to 24 days. Uh, this year, it's around 10 to 14 days, and that's all due to how quickly we're adopting and, and matching them up with their homes. Um, we also had uh, a great adoption success in May when we, for the first time, we emptied out our dog kennel, and this was due to every dog finding a forever home. How many um, dogs was that? It was around 10. Dog, yeah, so we, you know, it was short-lived. We had uh, an empty kennel for about a weekend, and then we filled up again. So, um, Our shelter veterinarian, Dr. Caitlin Neal, uh, has performed over 251 surgeries to date, and uh, this includes spay-neuter, uh, dental procedures, uh, mass removals. Um, our animal care team has administered over 1,300 vaccinations, um, to ensure high standards are care for the animals. So uh, we continue to kind of step our game up and make sure that our animals are physically, you know, well. Um, recently, we received an estate donation of $91,000, and uh, this will go towards our operating budget, you know, medical expenses, and will also go towards improving the quality of life for the animals under our care. Um, we have also been awarded a grant of 35 cap portals, which is the value is around $3,000. And uh, the portals are used to expand single cat cages into two by installing this portal on the kennel wall. And uh, by providing opening up that space for our cats uh, will significantly improve the quality of care for them by reducing illness and stress. Um, that is all I wanted to report. I just wanted to kind of give you a brief, you know, update on our numbers, how many animals we had in, and kind of a focus on what we were looking towards the future. Um, but I want to thank you for uh, having me here, and if you have any questions. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> so. so we're very pleased to uh, take you into the family of departments, and uh, you've done a great job so far. And uh, we're, I think the county is very pleased with the level of care, and we may want to start a commission or a committee to oversee any euthanizations. But so far, so good. And uh, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ramon. Thank good to see you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. We'll be bringing him in quarterly from now on, just to give you an update on what he's up to. Okay, Commissioners, uh, next item is item number two on page three, Department of Emergency Services Storage Building uh, Procurement that we're working on. Alan? Commissioners, uh, we were asked to build a building in order to store uh, quite a volume of PPE we've been receiving over since the COVID started in March. It's, right now it's stored all over the county and wherever we can find a place to put it. 
we tried to rent a, some warehouse space, but it was fairly expensive, like $50,000 a year for 6,000 square feet, when we would probably use every bit of the 6,000 square feet. DES also had a need for uh, storing uh, emergency shelter supplies. Right now they're renting storage from uh, Y Mills, Clow and Y Mills. So it seemed sense, makes sense to build a building. Todd is, was able to secure permission that the CARES Act would pay for the building, the condition being that we had to have it built and invoiced by the end of this calendar year. So we went out to bid with a short procurement uh, schedule. We re reached out to the four people who we've had experience with building warehouses, and they turned around the price. So you see the three prices with Cloud Ventures being the low bid at $494,600. Um, the building's 11,400 square feet, insulated, eight garage doors. So again, the funding source will be the CARES, federal CARES money. I move to award the bid of the construction of 11,400 square feet Department of Emergency Services storage building in the amount of $494,600 to Cloud Ventures utilizing CARES federal money for its construction. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? It, interesting that, that these bids are pretty close together. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're talking about this kind of dollar amount, I mean, that... Well, it's a, per, it's a fairly plain Jane building. Right. And, and that's... I was going to draw that conclusion that, I mean, it's basically a, a frame with lots of floor space Correct. for storage. So, good. How tall is it? How tall is it? I think the ceiling, uh, the, the uh, interior are 14 foot. Wow. I believe. Okay. I know the doors are 12 foot, so it has to be a little bit bigger. And we have that much stuff. We're going to buy a whole lot more through the health department. This is going to be using the, actually the Part A uh, component of the uh, of the allotment that we got through the health department, and they're going to they're going to procure additional PPE for the next year or so. So we have it on on hand for uh, for the future. I mean, what all is? I mean, I I'd like to see an inventory of what's going in there. Sure, down the road. I just yeah, I'll sure, abs not absolutely. We can just, we can give you that. I mean, how many? You know. Hand sanitizer, have, masks, gowns, gowns have that goggles. Are, yeah. When you're 14 feet, I mean, you put racks in there, and you, you've got a lot of storage. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, be that uh, as it may, uh, we are moving to award the bid of construction of an 11,400-square-foot Department of Emergency Services storage building in the amount of $494,600 to Cloud Ventures, utilizing CARES federal money for its construction. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Right, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, item three on page five is the uh, proposed grant agreement for the Shine Like Stars. And here comes Mr. Dave McGlashan. He prepared this one. So uh, there's a looks like you got a little dirt. Ah, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Thanks for doing. I'm sorry, you can't ever come in here if I'm a commissioner. I appreciate and that. not get a shot across the bow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. That being said, that's a desktop item. Uh, do we have someone that wants to make a motion? I move to execute the grant agreement with Miss Ryan of Shine Lake Stars Preschool LLC in the amount of twenty-five thousand dollars. Second. Hold on, he's not oh. done. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, we, so we've uh, modified one of the provisions of here from from seven days to make it uh, give a, a natural date certain so there's avoid confusion. Uh, so that um, as part of what you need to do is this is for the public at home, this was part of the 
uh, county, getting Christ of Christ Church out of the county's hands and over to the Friends of Christ Church. The uh, daycare center, Shine Lake Stars, was operating in there. So it was part of moving this over to a historic building and getting the business operating out of it. There was this grant that was used to help Ms. the Shine Lake Stars with its new location. Um, and so as part of this condition, she has to uh, vacate her possessions by August 21st uh, out of the uh, Christchurch location. Um, and she has to uh, complete the improvements and construction for the new location within six months. Um, and there is a, uh, a payback if she doesn't stay in continuous operation for five years. Um, child care is obviously a huge issue right now with, with COVID. So um, enable, being able to save one of our child care facilities is a huge deal for a lot of working parents. Jim, Jim, point of order, I think you've got to actually, as the motion was made, as the contract was written now, then he's, you're going to have to take that and then take a motion to amend it and second it and vote on that before you can actually take the original vote, I believe. Uh, I don't know, because if he, if he, if his motion... He would have to read the amendment into the motion as one... Well, that's what I mean. Part. You, 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 you want to... Do you have an actual sentence there that you're going to read into that, or is that a... Here, I'll read that. you got to go separately. Um, well, you want to, we'll let you start over with your motion. <laughs> All right. I move to execute the grant agreement with Ms. Ryan of Shine Lake Stars Preschool LLC in the, in the amount of $25,000 with... An amended term... An amended date amend, Paragraph 3 uh, to state, the grantee shall vacate its current location in the old Christchurch building, Main Street, Stevensville, Maryland, by the 21st of August, and the grantee shall complete the improvements and construction of the premises within six months of the date hereof or forego this grant. Grantee shall thereafter operate a preschool program on the premises for a continuous period of five years. Or forego. I had to forego it there. Okay. Now I'm going to get a second. Second. We have a motion and a second. I want to hear you reread that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want to say. Do we have any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Now what are you over there dropping? But I think the record showed that that Commissioner Jack Wilson abstained from the previous vote. There was a no on the previous vote, so I can't vote on this one. You can't vote on this one. That means you can't. I was just trying to get the Roberts Rule stuff started. I hear you got it. Okay. Procedural. That was procedural. I know. You should have reminded me about that. All procedural. You're done. All you have to do is back the U-Haul van up and get busy. Yes, sir. Why not? Thank you. Saturday, Sunday, you know, it's fine. Thank you. See you, Dave. Okay. All right, next up we have on page uh, number four, item 20. This is actually a, um, we have to convene a sanitary commission on this one. So can we convene I make a motion that we convene as the sanitary commission. Second. All in favor? Aye. Uh, There we go. Item four on page 20, uh, comprehensive solid waste plan text amendment. Up, Shane. Want me to make this motion? You can make the motion if you want. First. Okay. Sure. I move to execute the resolution for the comprehensive solid waste plan text amendment and the letter to MDE stating the text amendment was adopted. Second. second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? The only question I had, do we have any buildings that this is even going to apply to? 
Uh, not even near this close, no. Okay. 150,000 square feet, I believe. The largest is less than 10,000 square feet in the county right. right now. Good. Okay. Any other discussion? Seeing none, we're going to move to execute the resolution for the Comprehensive Solid Waste Plan Text Amendment and the letter to MD East stating the text amendment was adopted. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Commissioners. Item number five on page 24, we have some uh, fiscal year 21 trucks for the construction division of the Sanitary Commission, or Sanitary District. Can I get a motion on that, please? I move to purchase a one-ton four-wheel drive, one-ton truck with utility body and snowplow for construction division from Apple Ford via the Montgomery County contract in the aggregate amount not to exceed $75,000. Second. We have a motion to second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, item number six on page 26. Fisherman's Village Hotel Public Works Agreement. I move to execute the Public Works Agreement with Kent Narrows Enterprise LLC to allow for the construction of a 120-room hotel. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion on this item? And I believe this is just an amendment just because they had an original agreement and they just Correct. changed The original agreement was a 99-room hotel and the right. floor area is a little different. Very good. Okay. Uh, seeing no other discussion, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Item number seven is um, we have an informational meeting tonight. Item seven on page 29 is for a comprehensive water sewer plan amendment for... Um, the Wheatlands. This is an informational meeting. The hearing will be in two weeks. And we have Joe Stevens here representing the uh, applicant and Mr. Waterman, the applicant. So uh, you guys can come up to the table, sure. Well, I, you know, Alan, why don't we start with you? Just uh, for the public. Because, uh, you know, everybody is pr who's watching this now, okay. 12 people are going to say, you know, Wheatlands, that's in Queenstown. Exactly. Why, are, why is the county discussing this? So. Very little background there. As you noted, the Wheatlands property is when the corporated limits of the town of Queenstown. Mm -hmm. However, the county maintains the sewer and water plan for the entire county, including the incorporated towns. If you recall, when uh, Barclay wanted to annex some lands, then they had to amend their plan. Uh, anytime a incorporated town wants to increase their discharge permit, the county has to uh, amend its plan. So the uh, county maintains the plan for all jurisdictions in the county. So that's why we're involved and pretty much the only involvement we have. Huh. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. You, uh... Would you want me up here? Or sure. No, no, you're right here. Yeah. Uh, on, off, uh, either, okay. either or. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, Joseph Stevens, and uh, it's nice to see you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of being on TV, it's nice to be here. Uh, um, thank you very much. I'll be brief. Um, this is your informational meeting on the hearing that's going to come up in a couple of weeks, uh, and it's your opportunity to ask questions if you have any questions of us. I represent um, Waterman Family Limited Partnership, who owns Wheatlands Farm. Barry Waterman is principal with that partnership. He's here to answer questions you might have. Wheatlands is located in the town of Queenstown. It's immediately south of Route 50. Uh, right across the road from the outlets. It's about 140 acres um, in size. It has 
it, it abuts the headwaters of the Y River, but that entire area, about 65 acres, is all under conservation easement that abuts the water. This amendment does not include that area that's under conservation easement. Uh, Queenstown has planned, as well as the county, in their joint 1997 plan to have this property annexed, have it developed with mixed-use commercial, mixed-use residential development. Um, that, is, uh, that was in the 97 plan. Then again in the Queenstown 2010 plan, reaffirmed in the uh, 2017 plan, and it's been amended and reaffirming it again. The uh, county has it to be annexed and to be part of Queenstown growth area in the 2002 and the county's 2010 plan. So all the plans have called for it to be in. Since that time in 2011, the county uh, identified in its comprehensive water and sewer plan the Wheatlands Farm as S3W3. That's uh, planning for water and sewer service within four to ten years. So that was in 2011. Here we are in 2020. It's right in the time frame that your plan called for it, as well as the county, as well as the uh, town's plan. Um, the property was annexed in 2014. It's zoned plan regional commercial, mixed-use zoning district. Mr. Waterman has taken the plan through concept approval at the town planning commission. The information we provided you are the findings of that approval. We also provided you a letter from the town commissioners requesting that it be amended into the master water and sewer plan and, uh, and, that, um, uh, and that they support such an amendment um, and that there is capacity for such a, such a project in their um, facilities um, and that, um, uh, that the developer is responsible for the cost of that and so on and so forth. Uh, finally, I'll just... Um, uh, they found, I'm sorry, they also found, as required by your plan, that the, um, that the property uh, is, con that the, the development is consistent with the uh, comprehensive plan for the town. And they made that finding and put that in a letter to you as well. Uh, what we're requesting and what we will request in two weeks is that it be upgraded to S2W2. That means then Mr. Waterman will be able to go, go through Acquire allocation. He'll be able to do his planning and design, engineering and design, final master planning, and then proceed with construction. You will not see it again after it goes to S2W2, because as I understand the plan and the policy, uh, is that it, it's an administrative approval to go to S1W1, which means it's, you didn't have service. So S2W2 means immediate plan service, so we're very close to getting it. S1W1 means it's there on the property. So we won't be back before you for another amendment. It will be done administratively. So with that, if you have questions, we're here. We're happy to answer them. Um, and otherwise, we'll be before you in two weeks. I'll start. So this is uh, phase one. And phase one, if I'm reading this correctly, phase one is 66,750 gallons per day? That's correct. So how many phases is there? And what, what's the total? Well... The process, yes, yes. the process is, is long and convoluted, as you right. might imagine. So we've gone through concept plan approval, which has a phasing provision. Mm -hmm. But the next thing we need to do after we go through this is do the master plan approval, and then after that we would have to do the subdivision uh, approvals, and those would be in phases. So this is pretty much everything that we have. We have 18 acres of land that we don't know what the use will be for. The uh, town commissioners have requested that we reserve it for some future commercial use. 
which no one knows what that might be at this stage, and that is even muddier in the last four or five months than it used to be. Um, but we've done that. We've reserved that portion. So that really is the only other phase. So this, okay. this first phase is everything that we're proposing to do at this time. At this, okay. And so, so the 202 residential units, are these single-family homes, duplexes, townhouses? The town's uh, zoning ordinance required there to be a certain percentage of different types of uses in the master-planned mm-hmm. area. So what we have proposed is 79 townhouses, and the rest are single-families, uh, with the exception of 14 cottage homes, which are single families but on a condominium land on little teeny mm-hmm. tiny yards. Um, the idea that this development has is that we looked at Queenstown and we looked at what makes Queenstown interesting, what makes most old towns interesting, and the fact is that you have a wide range of architecture, you have a wide range of lot sizes, you have a wide range of housing types and price ranges to meet the entire spectrum of the community, and that's what we've tried to accomplish. So uh, the single-family lots vary in width. They vary in uh, access. Some are from behind. Some are in the front. Um, so we're, we've, we've gone through, well, years of effort with the Queenstown Planning Commission to get to the point of concept of where everybody's on the same page of what, what they want to see there. How about the commercial side? Can you share any of what might be going in there? There's only four pads proposed. There's actually five We've been negotiating with State Highway to swap some land that they might want for the, the old um, Anderson-Stokes property that they bought 20 years ago for the access road that's supposed to go through Wheatlands mm-hmm. that they don't want to build now. They want us to build. But anyway, they don't need that parcel, so we've been talking to them about swapping that for a widening strip along Route 50 and some extra ground down um, at the end near Hickory Ridge. Should they ever want to build a, an access road there, they'd have the ground to do it and wouldn't have to buy it later. So there may end up being five pads there, three of which would front on the highway. They'd be some type of highway service. Uh, I don't exactly know what. Okay. And the interior uh, would be two two pads that could handle you know, maybe a small strip center or hopefully uh, sit down national chain restaurants um uh, it's a good it's a great place for them the question there is how, who survives mm-hmm. and who's around in in a couple of years when we're actually to the finish line and ready to go and you your development's going to is it going to connect to route 18 that's correct the proposal yeah. is to come out on route 50 directly across from the outlets mm-hmm. and then to connect to route 18 um we don't know exactly. State Highway is still uh, trying to determine exactly what they want. There's there's discussion about many different um, ways to make those things work, but I think in the in the end they're likely to close off the 18 current 18 Route 50 intersection mm-hmm. and move it to our access because as you know as you come around Route 50 in the woods you can't see and if there's two right. people trying to turn on 18 the second one's going to get rear-ended. So, right. Um, I expect that that's all part that, you know, that'll be part of what we do with the state highway when we come up with that final plan. Any open space in this? That I mean, playgrounds. More or? than well, more than half of the property is right. open space. Uh-huh. Um, plus, there are uh, two parks planned inside the community in addition to that. So, um, again, we're not exactly sure what that will take. The concept plan calls for a walking trail <coughs> through the uh, seventy-acre. Um, buffer around the, the river, uh, a dog park, community and, and two small community parks. So right now, the, 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 the farming that goes on there is how close to the river? I mean, what, what's your farming compared to what 
when you build out, what's the difference going to be in, in distance? Uh, well, the water? difference is, is pretty substantial. We have made it a little less substantial than it needed to be. When, well, five years ago, I, I was farming the property myself, and we were planting within 25 feet of the top of the bank. Uh, two years ago or three years ago, we took out the 100-foot buffer and stopped planting that. And then uh, two years ago, we took out the 300-foot buffer and planted 5,000 trees on that. Really? just to give it a head start so we'd have a better visual buffer between whatever we do there and the people in Hickory Ridge who are used to looking at a nice farm and would probably like to still do that for the rest of time. But anyway, we did that just try to, to make everything easier on everybody and, and uh, to you know make the, the whole development environment. But we're going to take 70 acres um, out of production. So each one of those 70 acres is this corn planted there now. So 200 pounds of nitrogen, uh, 400 pounds of phosphorus and potash on there every year on every acre. Mm-hmm. Uh, some portion of that runs into the river. Um, without a development, there's you know it runs down ditches, open ditches that uh, some of that's pretty highly erodible ground. So I I think the, you, one would be hard pressed to say that uh, this development is going to uh, not improve the runoff. Into, right. into the river, if if not eliminate the runoff from this property to the river. I did forget to mention that the, the Chesapeake Bay Critical Area Commission approved growth allocation for this property through the town's growth allocation um, process back two years ago. So they have reviewed the 10% water quality improvement requirements. We did the preliminary conceptual plans for water quality improvement. So that's all part of it. But uh, I think it's important to note that it, it has growth allocation. It's it's designated not the buffer, not the not the 70 acres. That Mr. Waterman was speaking to, but the remainder of it has been designated uh, IDA under critical areas. So, you know, you, and I don't want to go on forever here, but Queenstown uh, upgraded their sewage treatment plant. How, how many years ago was that? <coughs> six, seven, five, ten? or six, seven. Yeah. Five. Yeah. So, how much alloc- how much uh, allocation do they have that's available? Do you know? They have enough for us to. to- Get this program going. There's plant is is uh, expandable, so oh, okay. so whatever we do there long term in the future, we can expand the plant to do it. They have ample um, capacity in their plant today. They do have a problem with uh, groundwater intrusion, so some of that has to be solved before we could do all of what's proposed. But um, they have they have ample for us to get going. And the only reason I bring that up is we're all well aware of. There's, there's another municipality in Queen Anne's County that upgraded a sewage treatment plant and is uh, <laughs> struggling, struggling because they can't get users. Users, and they can't get users because people are trying to stop the users. So I just, I'm glad to see this is working out for Queenstown. I know that five years ago when you were in here, you know, uh, you, you met some resistance, to say the least, and you know, you were willing not to put any residential homes in there. Uh, is, is an agreement, and that was turned down by that set of commissioners, which is unfortunate, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this, and, you know, hopefully this will this will help Queenstown and Queen Anne's County. Uh, so, you know, kudos to you. Best of luck. Thank you. Um, quick question. Start. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, so break ground to how many phases did you say? Three? I suspect in the end that there will be three or four phases for okay. what we have planned. Okay. What, we, what we said is phase one right now is everything we have planned for the foreseeable future. And then there's 18 acres left for the distant future. Okay, even, so if, even if everything runs great and we were to get 
our, our master plan approved by the end of this year and, and our um, the next step by the end of the following year and started construction. I, I mean, to, to, to build the commercial and all of those houses is probably a 15 or 20 year project. I mean, this is not, you don't approve a subdivision and all of a sudden, boom, magically right. 200 houses appear. This is a long-term project. Very good. That was going to be my question. Thank you. Sir, any idea what SHA is going to do about your westbound traffic? Um, the, the circulation pattern that we have anticipated for forever is a right-on and right-off only on Route 50. Right. So the return traffic for anybody going westbound would be down Route 18 and across Nesbitt Road onto Route 50 westbound that way. Okay. Um, okay. So that, that is the only really safe avenue with the exception of uh, the possibility of a traffic light. Um, State Highway has been adamantly opposed to that up until recently, and they asked us to do a study on that. I don't know where that goes, um, but that won't change the fact that we still would have a connection to 18. Um, and the reality is that I don't foresee us having anything that, that I can think of commercially that would go in there that would attract westbound traffic because every Every restaurant, everything that I can think of already exists in Easton where, where westbound traffic would be coming from or would be coming back from the beach, and when they're on their way home, they don't tend to stop. So I, I am thinking that those highway pads are going to serve eastbound 50 really only, and people coming home to this development would come down 50 and turn right into the development, and when they go to work, if they have to go to work, they'll be going down um, over at uh, Nesbitt Road overpass. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you in two weeks. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to see you. Is it? Yeah. I believe that concludes our agenda. Uh, yeah, I think that's all for public works tonight. So thank you, Alan. Good to see you. Thank you. All right, Commissioners, if you want to turn to tab number three, we have a uh, 11 items in the book and one desk item. So tab three, item one, page one, is a proclamation pillar of the month for respect. Could I ask one of you to read that, recite that, please? Sure, I'll take care of that. Yeah, look how short it is. Look at you jumping up on that. Uh, <laughs> privileges. Yeah. Yes. Pillar of the month for August 2020, respect, Jack. 20-37, whereas Queen Anne's County was declared a character counts community, and whereas we as citizens will come together and build a strong community based on respect and tolerance of individual differences without prejudice. And whereas the Queen Anne's County Department of Social Services acknowledges worth of, the, of other people, including oneself, and whereas the Queen Anne's County Department of Social Services believes that all citizens should treat others as they want to be treated and whereas the department values all people, respects others' dignity, privacy, and freedom, provides services while being courteous and polite, as well as being tolerant and accepting of differences. And whereas the Queen Anne's County Department of Social Services urges all citizens to make respect a daily part of their lives, now more than ever. Now, therefore, we, the county commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do hereby designate the Character Counts Pillar of the Month for August to be respect. Signed, the Queen Anne's County Commissioners. 
It's a good one. Great. Thank you, Commissioners. You're quite welcome. Okay. Item two on page two is a letter we had drafted to the Board of Education in support of uh, in-person learning. We had a good work session just prior to this meeting with uh, with them. We're going to hold that. So we're going to pass on this one tonight? Yeah, we're going to hold that. Okay. All right. Moving on then, um, item three on page four is a support letter to the State Board of Public Works supporting the modifications and amendments to the lease property under the uh, Kenton Harris Bridge for uh, a uh, Schultz uh, development down there, the former Fisherman's Inn. And I believe this letter was uh, was sent out already, so if we can just reaffirm our support there. This was a, we agreed to this uh, the meeting prior. Correct. We, did you? Do we already send this one? We, we sent this because they yeah. needed that. By, by this morning. Correct. Right, right. Board right. Public Works. Okay, so we don't need a motion on that. Yeah, correct. Okay, Commissioners, uh, if you want to go to item four on page five, this is the um, semi annual progress report for the Mattapique Industrial Park grant. Our economic development staff has completed the task of polling all the business owners down there for their staffing changes. So, can I get a motion on that, please? I move to approve and sign this semi-annual progress report as presented for the Community Development Block Grant Number MD11ED70 regarding Mattapique Industrial Park, which covers the time period of January 1, 2020 through June 30, 2020. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Item 5. On page 9 is a whole series of easements and um, deeds of shared parking spaces for the, also for the Fisherman's Village uh, development down there for the new hotel. And this is a memo from Mike Wisnowski, and all these are ready for signature. They've been vetted by our county attorney and our county planning commission attorney. So um, can I get a motion on that, please? I move to approve the necessary easements as presented to allow for shared parking, drainage, and pedestrian access to the county trail system in accordance with the conditions of the Fisherman's Village Schultz Development LLC site plan approval. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you, Mike. Uh, item number six on page 57 is two... Um, Resolutions for property liens for un unkept grass, unmanicured grass, <clears throat> nuisance complaints. And these are, I did talk to our zoning administrator about some of these, and these are repeat offenders, and they typically come back, you know. I never make it. She did, uh, Vivian did send that, or actually I think Margie sent that around, and mm -hmm. I think everyone on there was a vacant house this last time. So, yeah. you know, that answered that question. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I move to approve resolution 2026 through 2027 to place a lien on each of the proposed listed in the county zoning administrator's memorandum dated August 11, 2020, for nuisance violations. Second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. Thank you, Commissioners. Item number seven. On page 68, and this is a request to confirm the appointment of community members uh, to the local management board. We have a series of them. Can I get a motion on that, I please? move to appoint uh, Jessica Denny, Scott Evans, Stephanie Hines, and Laura, sorry, Lauren K. Weber to the Queen Anne's County Community Partnerships for Children and Families Board 
to serve a three-year term ending on June 30, 2023. Second. 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 We got to do them separately? Sure, we can now. Yeah, second. Uh, any discussion on those? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. I move to reappoint Laura Roth and Mary Ann Thompson to a second three-year term ending June 30th, 2023. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion on these appointments? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? What a team. What so a team. Moved. Come on. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Next, we have a series of budget amendments. Uh, item 8 on page 70. Budget Amendment CC5, and this is for home delivery of meals and uh, congregate meals. Uh, Department of Aging received a Families First Coronavirus Response Grant uh, totaling $31,437 for those activities. Any motion on that? I move to approve Budget Amendment CC-5. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? I've got a question. And I don't know. Jonathan, are you out there? Jonathan was out there. He's there. Well, the reason I'm asking that is um, this is this is COVID relief funding. Yes, this which is has right. to be used by this December 31st. This this actually goes through to September 2021, September 30th, 2021. Some of the Department of Aging grants go go multiple years. Okay, that's good. I mean, because you know, part us. of our discussion yeah. we had today with the Board of Ed, depending on how long this goes without vaccines or without going back to school. This money sooner or later is going to dry up, and somebody's going to have to backfill it. So, but you're saying this is this is going this. I this, guess this grant, this what we're the the money we're setting aside right now. Does this fulfill the need all the way through September 30th of 2021? But I think Jim, I think this, if I'm not mistaken, Jonathan, didn't we get money that actually supplanted existing money? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what's happening is we're moving that money over now because she got a big grant that we had already budgeted money for. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Is that, is that the case, Jonathan? That's right. Okay. So that's right. There is additional, that's a planning money, a little bit, some of which we used in this budget amendment that we showed you, but there's still money left there that we can use going forward. But it's, before we had to use everything by December 31st of 2020, we're um, being told now these will go till September of 2021? These are DOA grants. For this yeah. money, yeah, for different. this particular grant, okay. it's, it's different than the CARES uh, requirements. Okay. Yeah, right. the original Part A, Part B grant was to be spent by the end right. of this Right. calendar year and this okay. is a separate grant for she you got like, that's why like 300 okay. i think it was yeah. like 300 some thousand right wasn't it close to that or something like that yeah, yeah. okay all right the motion is uh to approve cc-5 uh all in favor signify by saying aye. aye aye opposed so moved all right thank you commissioners item number nine on page 71 budget amendment cc6 this amendment is to decrease the tourism advertising grant budget by twelve thousand. $848 to reflect a, the grant that was awarded for that. So it's just a, an adjustment. I move to approve budget amendment CC6. Second. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item 10, um, budget amendment CC7 on page 72. This is our big grant for the Rural Legacy Program. Uh, for grants to purchase uh, three easements uh, as listed here in the uh, on the budget amendment 
I think it totals over almost uh, $1.2 million for these particular easements. And Donna Landis Smith was in a few weeks ago and reviewed these with us. So this is a good, good, good thing for the county. I move to approve Budget Amendment CC7. Second. We have a motion to second any discussion on this item. Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right, thank you, Commissioners. And our last budget amendment tonight, uh, budget amendment CC8 on page 73. This is another um, CARES Act grant that recognizes an award that uh, for grant number CV18 uh, provided to uh, by the Maryland Department of Housing for emergency rental assistance and for quarantine sheltering. That goes I'm to uh, Mike Clark. Budget amendment CC-8. Second. We have a motion and second. Any discussion on this item? So, so this one's going through the OMB? Is this, in Mike, this goes to Mike's? Side. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have a motion and second on CC-8. Any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. We have one desk item, and that is a letter to the uh, Weinberg grant members um, asking for support for the... Homes of Hope Building Project that's being undertaken by Haven Ministries. It's down in Stevensville, Main Street, Stevensville. And we supported that project as well with uh, some, some dollars allocations. I move to approve the Haven Ministries letters of Weinberg grant members. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? So moved. All right, that's all the action items we had for this evening. We can uh, move into our presentations at this time. First, we have our 2011 Comprehensive Water and Sewerage. Oops, excuse me. We did that already. I think we're up with Amy here. Yes, Amy Mordock, our principal planner, is here. Department of Planning and Zoning and Lauren Good from Wallace Montgomery. We have our Comprehensive Plan Update. So Lauren, come on in. Amy, good to see you. You too can have a seat now. So I'm happy to introduce uh, Lauren Good and Amy Morbeck from Wallace Montgomery Associates. And now they're on the right hand. Now, hand the floor over to them for their uh, first update to you on the plan. Uh, good evening, and thank you for the opportunity. Uh, to provide you with this status update for the 2021 comprehensive plan. Um, We are going to begin with an introduction of our team, followed by a brief review of the county's existing plans and provide a status update for the 2021 plan. Uh, Wallace Montgomery is a multidisciplinary planning and engineering firm uh, that is headquartered in Hunt Valley, Maryland, We also have four additional offices in Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Delaware, uh, which is where I'm located. I will be leading this planning effort for Wallace Montgomery and overseeing the staff we have assigned to work on the project in addition to the sub-consultants that were selected for the project. Ray Moravec, who is one of Wallace's vice presidents, uh, will be providing QAQC for the project overall, as well as participating in public outreach events um, and other efforts as needed. Our team also includes Remline, which is a public outreach and digital media firm who will assist in those outreach efforts, the project website and document design, 
as well as Heritage Strategies, which is a planning firm that specializes in historic communities and cultural landscapes. Uh, shifting gears, the county's existing comprehensive plan was adopted almost <coughs> 10 years ago. Its overall vision was originally drafted by the county commissioners, and it was modified based on community input that was received during that planning process. That plan's vision emphasizes maintaining and enhancing the county's character while recognizing that it is a quintessentially rural community and preserving it as a great place to live, being predominantly rural with small towns connected by creeks and county roads through fields and forests, a good place to work, encouraging agriculture, seafood and maritime industries, tourism and outdoor sports, small businesses and high-tech enterprises. Uh, it's a good neighbor for the Bay and other Eastern Shore <coughs> counties and uh, as a faithful steward of its natural and cultural heritage. It's a community that protects the expectations and opportunities of all of its citizens and where development does not impair the quality of life enjoyed by all. And last but not least, it's a county that supports the highest quality of education that seeks to fully prepare its citizens for the future. This plan strengthened the county's longstanding guiding principles, <coughs> its growth management policies, and recommendations that have been outlined since 1987 to create sustainable communities that are consistent with the 2030 vision for the county and the state's smart growth goals and objectives. In addition to the 2010 comprehensive plan, additional work was completed to develop three different uh, community plans for communities within the county. Uh, the Chester Stevensville Community Plan was adopted in 2007. Its vision was developed by a citizens advisory committee uh, and noted uh, that it was to be a planning area that provides uh, families of all income levels are able to obtain secure, affordable housing, maintain decent employment, have useful and safe transportation modes, select from a variety of community parks, recreation, and educational opportunities, and maintain the environmental health of their neighborhoods. Uh, this plan included a number of specific recommendations to implement this vision. The second community plan was created for Graysonville in 2010. Its intent was to put forth a strategy for responsible growth that recognized the character of the area and the needs of its citizens now and in the future. Its underlying premise is that with forward thinking and community involvement, the quality of life for its citizens can be enhanced while accommodating the area's growth and development. This plan also included a number of recommendations meant to address the community planning issues that were identified during that process. And the last community plan was developed for Kent Narrows in 2006. Uh, its vision hoped to establish Kent Narrows as a year-round destination for visitors and local residents while highlighting the heritage of the traditional waterfront character. Again, several recommendations and implement strategy, implementation strategies were developed to address planning issues. So it is our overall intent for this current planning process to incorporate these three community plans <laughs> Um, update that their information um, in addition to select issues and recommendations from other plans throughout the <coughs> county to provide an update to the 2010 comprehensive plan. Wallace Montgomery was brought on board in June of this year to facilitate and develop this <coughs> plan. In the last two and a half months, uh, we've been working on several tasks, including holding an internal project kickoff meeting with our key staff and sub consultants 
developing detailed work plans based on the scope provided in our executed contract, updating the initial project schedule, and developing a draft public involvement plan. We've developed a mock-up of our intended project website. Uh, We've also reviewed the prior work efforts that were provided to us by the county staff and uh, began determining where there are data and information gaps that we would need to fill in during this process. We began some additional data and GIS resource gathering. We're working on the initial plans, organization, and template deliverables. Uh, And we've held staff coordination meetings uh, with county staff. Um, We are holding this status update meeting tonight and later on this week we will be holding a kickoff meeting with the Planning Commission. Uh, And moving forward, we will also be providing you as well as the Planning Commission with written status reports of our progress as well as any um, major decisions that are made or things like that um, throughout the length of the project. Um, As mentioned, uh, one of our first tasks involved reviewing some of the prior work efforts that were completed by the previous consultants uh, that began this process. This included working drafts of various uh, data and sections of the plan, working drafts of the three community plans updates, um, reviewing meeting and workshop presentations and minutes that have already occurred as part of this planning effort, uh, reviewing the public survey results, uh, technical committee status updates um, for the goals, objectives, and recommendations that can be found in the 2010 plan, as well as uh, reviewing comments that we that uh, the county has received from various organizations, uh, such as the Queenstown Planning Commission, the Kent Narrows Development Foundation, and Business Queen Anne's. Our overall work plan includes the six tasks, as you can see here, um, as well as various subtasks. Um, those six overall tasks include project initiation, conditions analysis and input, community assessments, the plan development, the adoption process, as well as project management. Uh, While these are all separate tasks, many of them overlap because a lot of the areas are interrelated. We are currently finishing up with task one uh, with the meetings this week, as well as finalizing the draft public involvement plan. Uh, We're also currently working on task two, again, collecting data and analyzing existing conditions. Our next steps will include beginning the public engagement process, evaluating the existing vision statements, and assessing various issues and opportunities further. We'll also be developing individual profiles for the eight incorporated jurisdictions, um, by no means replacing those communities' comprehensive plans, but providing some basis for uh, working with the uh, with those towns in this process, um, as well as developing and incorporating the revised community plans uh, into this plan for the future. Uh, these efforts will ultimately result in the plan's development and its future adoption. Meanwhile, the project management and QAQC efforts have already begun and will be ongoing until the end of the project. Uh, As mentioned, we developed a draft public involvement plan uh, that you should have seen in your agenda packets. Um, Public participation is, of course, an important part of the comprehensive planning process, helping to ensure that the plan accurately reflects the vision of the community. Uh, It is important to stress that this process is an update 
to the 2010 plan um, and not a full rewrite. So the process will look a little different than it did the last time it occurred. The public involvement plan helps us to outline the process that we'll be using uh, and identifies some initial stakeholders and outlines various methods of public outreach. These include public meetings, news releases, and social media, and creating and maintaining a project database uh, in concert with the website that includes contacts for updates and a place to collect and sort public comments. Um, it, it also includes the overall project website, um, the initial mock-up of the homepage you can see on the screen here. Uh, we have ob obtained a domain name for the website, uh, and it's currently under construction. So, of course, as soon as that uh, is complete, we will um, let the county know um, so they can so we can begin publicizing uh, that the project website is open, uh, where information um, is available to be re reviewed, um, as well as to obtain input moving forward. This plan also outlines our initial project schedule. Uh, which an overview is shown on the screen um, and was provided, uh, provided to you. We anticipate that throughout the entire process, we will hold 11 meetings with the Planning Commission, six technical committee meetings, five visioning workshops, and seven special topic workshops. We also intend to hold a joint meeting between the County Commissioners and the Planning Commission, which will publicly present the draft plan and will begin the official public comment period. Uh, these efforts will be followed by a public hearing with the Planning Commission, who ultimately recommends approval to this board, um, and a hearing by yourselves, um, who ultimately adopt the plan. We've included two additional meetings in our scope that can be utilized as the county sees fit. Um, these could be additional review sessions as needed um, by yourselves or the Planning Commission, um, or other uh, or another use for them, again, um, as the county sees fit. Each visioning workshop uh, that we are proposing will have a countywide focus, uh, but because they are also going to be located throughout the county, um, they will also include exercise, exercises related to the communities where they occur. Um, so we will have ones that focus on the three community planning areas, um, as well as North County. Um, each special topic workshop will focus on one to two content areas of the plan, such as housing or land use. Um, and we will, these workshops will be open to the public, um, but they will also include representatives from relevant boards, commissions, and stakeholder organizations. We anticipate that this entire project will be completed by November of next year. Um, it's important to note, especially when talking about public outreach, that uh, we are planning all of the public meetings and outreach, keeping in mind any necessary COVID restrictions. Uh, and while we hope that all of the meetings will be held in person, we realize that this is a situation that's changing every day, so we may need to uh, plan for uh, virtual meetings of some kind, but we will work with the county to decide what is the best course moving forward. Regardless, all of those meetings, uh, we will again work with the county to publicize those efforts to engage uh, the highest number of uh, citizens possible. With this extended schedule, um, we are also happy that we'll be able to in incorporate updated data from the 2020 census, um, including population, race, ethnicity, and housing unit counts. 
Um, this uh, data release should be available by April 1st of next year. Um, so as mentioned, um, beginning next month, we will provide you with uh, written updates on at least a monthly basis. Um, and at this time, um, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to provide you this in-person status update and welcome any questions or comments that you may have. Looking good. <laughs> <laughs> Comment we like to hear. <laughs> Silence is consent. Yes. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, I mean, no doubt it's um, an arduous task, even if it's just an update of the existing plan, because obviously things change over the last few years, and then obviously the, the environment we're in now, you know, we don't know uh, what kind of changes we've made to the way that we conduct business or live our lives here in this county, and, and any of those changes, how many of them are going to be permanent, even after you know, we get our vaccine and COVID is long gone. How, how what the new norm will be. So, but um, I, I'm excited about seeing how this process evolves. Uh, obviously, one of the biggest concerns I have, and I know it maybe even my fellow commissioners, is um, the component of public uh, feedback and, and, and sharing, uh, or their ability to share some of their ideas um, with how, as citizens, they see it. So that'll be an important component, um, but best of luck to you guys. Thank you very much. Very good. Mike or Amy, you want to interject anything or you're good? Just to add that the extended schedule also, the extended schedule will also allow us to take advantage of the housing study that is also currently being updated for the county. So that's also going to be really great data that we can fold into our housing section. Um, just a quick question uh, the, uh, regarding the census numbers. I mean, um, do we have a feeling on how that, that's progressing and, and the accuracy of these numbers? I mean, is that always just kind of a moving target anyway whenever you're doing something like this? The Census Bureau does have um, information on the response rate that has been received um, from the county. Um, I uh, don't have that number available uh, off the top of my head, but it's certainly something that I can uh, provide an update on uh, for next month. Okay. Um, the, I'm curious just to see how, how I just the citizens of Queen Anne's County are doing. I just saw the top five, and we're not in it for Maryland. But we've done county. pretty well, I think. I think that we're in the 60 percentile. The top five in terms of how many have responded so far, oh. we're, yeah, we're not in the top five. I just saw that on the news somewhere oh. or something. So we've we're got not, some work to do. We're not in the top five, but we're not doing poorly. Where I think our percentage is above the state average. Okay. Yeah. I think that I think our percentage was sixty-three percent. I think. That's okay. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, but if they know what percent we are, what do they need to do a census for? <laughs> I just, I don't know. That's percentage of respondents, though. Right, but you, total, you must have of how many people. You're right. How do you right, get that percentage yeah. if you don't know how many people there are? That's a good point. I get that. That's yeah. kind of interesting. Throwing the darts. About sixty thousand, maybe, <laughs> give or take. Very good. Anyone else? Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate you coming out. Thank you. All right, thanks. I guess you'll be going to the Planning Commission this month as well for a briefing? On Thursday. Okay, Thursday. Good. Very good. Nice. All right, Commissioners, our um, 
Our next presentation is from the Midshore Behavioral <coughs> Health. Catherine Dilley, the executive director, and her team, I believe, are here. And I don't think we have a PowerPoint for that, but if you turn in your book, tab six, hello, item two, um, is the information they provide for this uh, for this briefing tonight. How you doing? Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming. Um, my name is Katie Dilley. I'm the executive director at Midshore Behavioral Health. And I have the pleasure of being joined this evening with Audra Chevanier. She is uh, your Queen Anne's County uh, representative, uh, behavioral health coordinator, also our child and adolescent uh, behavioral health coordinator specialist. So thank, thank you. you for having us. Mm -hmm. So we, we historically have done this presentation during the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. But of course, uh, as you all know, in response to COVID, we're a little delayed. So, you know, we, we've made a lot of progress since May, um, but just as a recognition that uh, typically we like to honor um, the uh, renewal process uh, for letter of agreement in that month. So, um, Mitchell Behavioral Health, um, our mission is to continually improve the provision of behavioral health services for the residents of Caroline, Dorchester, Kent, Queen Anne's, Talbot, and Talbot counties through our effective coordination of care and collaboration with our consumers, their natural support systems, providers, and our community at large. And our vision at Midshore Behavioral Health is a rural behavioral health care delivery system that is both clinically and culturally competent, and we ensure access have a community focus, be cost effective, and be integrated to serve the community as a whole. Um, I have to apologize. We have a typo here on the the one uh, the front sheet of our uh, snapshot. It should should read Caroline County under pro, not Caroline County. It should read Queen Anne's County, not Caroline County under programs that we serve. I apologize. We just two weeks ago did our Caroline County pr presentation, and I failed to update that. <laughs> that piece of our presentation, but everything else should be accurate um, and reflective of the county services. So uh, we like to offer um, this packet as really a snapshot of all the different services that we oversee on behalf of the Behavioral Health Administration and um, our representation of serving um, individuals that are involved in the public behavioral health system to receive services for their either mental health or substance use treatment needs. Um, so we have, as you can see, we have a, a large scope of uh, subvended activities out of Midshore um, that we monitor. Uh, Audra is going to do sort of more of a snapshot of the Queen Anne's County specific activities and her role and what she's overseeing, as well as a couple of new grants that have come into the region uh, in the last fiscal year that are also serving the county. I think one of the most... Um, you know, interesting and, and, and certainly one of the largest activities that we monitor that serves the county is our Eastern Shore Crisis Response, which is our crisis response provider that I am pleased to say that during COVID has not stopped serving individuals in person. Um, so we have our 24-hour hotline uh, for our Eastern Shore Operations Center, as well as our mobile crisis teams that come out and meet with individuals in person um, if they have a mental health crisis. So that has not skipped a beat during our COVID-19 response, and that's one thing that we're very proud of. Um, we also have several um, 
support services that have transitioned over from being provided in person to a telehealth platform. Um, so several of our vendors have been able to continue to meet the needs of individuals um, by way of serving them with telehealth services. So I just, a lot of these services have not stopped. However, they're just kind of looking a little differently in how they're being delivered. I'm gonna turn to the second page and get into some of the concrete highlights from fiscal year 20. Um, one of the things that we are very proud to have um, embarked on this past year is writing our community behavioral health plan in collaboration with all five of our local health departments and local addiction authorities. So we had the pleasure of working very closely with Maggie Thomas, who is your local addiction authority director here in the county, um, with writing the first um, integrated plan um, representing uh, six en entities. So our office at Mitchell Behavioral Health serving as the five county core service agency and each of the five health departments. We submitted um, an annual plan that was presented to your local drug and alcohol abuse council as well as the regional behavioral health um, advisory committee back in February and has been accepted and endorsed by the behavioral health administration for our fiscal year 21 activities. Um, one of which is looking at how we can, over the next three to five years, be working even more collaboratively as a um, combined systems manager overseeing um, the behavioral health services and um, needs of the community as a combined local behavioral health authority. So we're, we're in the you know, very early stages of what that would look like with having a more formalized, integrated structure with the local addiction authority here in the county, but we have um, support of both Maggie Thomas and, and Dr. Ciatola around you know, our intentions, and that's been a really nice relationship to um, work on over the past year. So there'll be some new um, initiatives that are coming out that are regional in nature that we're really excited about. Let's see. Um, we have a lot of initiatives going on. Um, related to our response to uh, making sure that we're addressing our cultural and linguistic needs of the community. So we are actually bringing together um, providers that are interested in prioritizing how we look at um, addressing systematic racism in our delivery of behavioral health care services. So we will be initiating a work group uh, for our provider network um, starting at the end of this month um, to look at how we can perhaps make sure we're doing some you know, more intentional work around how our services are meeting the whole community, uh, making sure that we're not, um, you know, not addressing our underserved populations. So that's a, a, a major priority that we're focusing on right now. Um, I'm gonna let uh, Audra talk about a couple of the points here, but I do wanna mention one uh, county-specific activity that we've been working on is since, I guess about a year ago, January, we have contracted with a group called the Oxford House um, Group, and they are a recovery house provider. And um, we have provided them funding through the state opioid response grant to bring up one to three recovery houses in the county. Um, in Queen Anne's County? In Queen Anne's County. Okay. Um, currently, you have no recovery houses right. formally sitting in the county. And that's something that we've identified as a gap in 
what is available here for Queen Anne's County residents. Um, and we have uh, solicited additional funds through the next two-year round of that grant to continue to support the Oxford House model coming into the county and being financially sustained for at least the next couple years by grant dollars and then have the ability to move into the fee-for-service structure. Um, so that's something that I'm hopeful within the next quarter that we could at least see one house open and maybe next year when we're back for our annual presentation with you all, we um, I would like to see us actually fulfill the deliverables of that activity. So how, how is that even going to... I'm just trying to... How is, how is that even possible? Do you, do you have to have somebody that's going to uh, run the, the facility? Mm-hmm. So you, you find... The facility, you find somebody to run The vendor, the Oxford House Group is actually an international recovery house model group. So they were founded out of a a house out of Silver Spring, probably in the late 70s, and has um, grown nationally and internationally with their house model. So my understanding of that particular structure is that it's it's usually peer, peer run so individuals that have moved through a recovery house structure actually um, are trained and um, supported to become house managers if they continue to reside and stay in the oxford house structure so the gentleman who is responsible for all of the maryland-based Oxford House is actually, I think, has been working in that system for close to 10 years and started out actually as a, a client mm-hmm. in one of their houses. So we've been working directly with him to um, look at Queen Anne's County um, and locations and so forth. He has not identified those yet, but I would be happy to follow up when we know for sure when we have the first house location identified just to keep you all informed. Absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, the Drug Free Coalition is. Oh, very yeah. interested in that information. Absolutely. Yeah. They know what we're up to. We're, we're trying to, we went after the dollars, uh-huh. um, and that's part of the battle. But then, right. of course, establishing the foundation and bringing up the model in the county is where we've spent most of our work over the last probably 15 months with that group trying to make that um, come to life. So <laughs> we uh, have, you know, continued to expand our crisis services around folks facing the opioid crisis. And I know when we met last year, I spoke a lot about the crisis bed activity that we've uh, supported up at the AF Witsit Center in Kent County. That continues to be a resource that's very utilized um, by all of the Midshore counties, um, Queen Anne's as well. So, you know, we're, we're grateful to have that service. Um, unfortunately, it did have to go offline for give or take a couple of months during COVID, but they are now back serving um, individuals that are in need of crisis bed access for their opioid um, misuse. So we're, we're pleased about that. We, uh, like I mentioned, we're very active working directly with your leadership here for the local addiction authority. Um, and we've been even more involved, of course, in being a part of participating in all of the COVID-19 response um, in the beginning, especially, I know now it's mostly the EOC that's meeting, but we've certainly responded um, and been a participant in the county's response to um, ensuring that access to services for behavioral health needs have been sustained. Um, And we've been reporting in on that routinely. Mm -hmm. Um, We've also initiated um, some new dollars that will be available to individuals facing eviction and so forth, um, because we have the continuum of care, which is our homeless services, the funding by way of the housing and urban urban development um, uh, 
as well as um, Maryland's um, Department of Housing and Community Development funds run through our office. So we have a lot of available funds that already serve the county and are available for folks now as a response to the COVID-19 with emergency dollars for, you know, for eviction prevention and so forth. So those are new funds that have come to our office by way of the, the pandemic. Um, and I think lastly, one of the things that we've recently done is just in response to making sure that we're keeping the lines of communication open with our provider network is we're actually meeting with all nine counties of the Eastern Shore um, every other week to brief providers on any of the developments related to regulations or allowances or changes in the system as a result to the pandemic. Um, and that is something that has been widely attended um, and you know, certainly a valuable resource to our, our community um, and making sure that we're staying at the forefront of the information to keep our providers' doors open and to make sure that the clients um, are having continued access to services. I'm going to let Audra talk about some of the specific highlights for the county. Um, we've given you a lot of information in terms of data as well as our funding, and we welcome questions at the end about that, but I'd like to leave that up to you if you need some more clarity. Sure. So some of our county-specific highlights, we were awarded the Healthy Transitions Grant, and we have contracted with Crossroads Community. And so that, what that grant encompasses is for transition-age youth from age 16 to 25, for additional services for housing, employment, life skills, education. So many of our transition-age youth are struggling, even more so today in our COVID, post-COVID, or in the midst of our COVID world, with um, being able to make those life choices. And um, this is a really exciting grant that Crossroads is, is working with us for. Another one of our highlights would be our Handle with Care through Queen Anne's County Public Schools. Um, that Handle with Care model is a statewide trauma-informed response to child maltreatment and children's exposure to violence. And so what happens is if a family has an event or situation at their home, the police can contact the school and just say, handle this child with care. So especially as we're coming back into the school and the next, we know that there's a lot of situations that we may not be aware of that have been happening. Um, we know that our numbers <coughs> of referrals to social services have been down, and so we're anticipating that the numbers of handle with care referrals are going to go up even more. Um, we serve on multiple committees in Queen Anne's County, including the Queen Anne's County Safety Net Committee, the, the LDAC Local Drug and Alcohol Council, Queen Anne's Coast Purple, Shore Regional Health Opioid Task Force, of course the EOC calls, the NAMI for Kent and Queen Anne's County, and I also serve on the local care team. And Katie has been the um, treasurer for the local management board since July of last year. That's pretty much the some of the highlights. Yeah, and just uh, just so you know, some some numbers just to you know to make sense of some of the data that was provided um, in fiscal year 19 in Queen Anne's County, um, 1,489 individuals were served in the public behavioral health system, so Medicaid reimbursed mental health services. So almost 1,500 residents in the county were served in that capacity. And then 886 
um, residents were served for substance use um, treatment services here in the county. Uh, question. Um, yes. Um, one of the one of the topics, one of the hot topics, um, when it comes to um, what's going on with law enforcement, uh, straight, you know, you know, coast to coast with with you know, let, uh, you know, stop funding law enforcement and sure. Um, I think one of the, the important things and, and, and part of the disconnect that's taking place is, is the proper training of, of right. behavioral right. health to law enforcement officers. So I guess my question to you, are we working collaboratively with our sheriff's office? Yes. Or is, is this training once they've been hired with us, or is it training that's done uh, at, at, at an academy? So the crisis intervention training that we – monitor the grant for, which is also another service provided by Affiliated Sante Group, which is our our crisis service response provider. Um, we actually um, had a meeting this afternoon with them because of some of the challenges in making sure those trainings are still happening, um, but the allowances around them being done virtually as a result of COVID. Um, so we finally got the blessing for that. But yes, um, Right now, traditionally, that training is happening after hire. That's not something that has yet to be instituted as part of the training academy um, that the officers move through. Um, so typically, the, it would be post-engagement with whatever department they're hired on to. But we have, I know Queen Anne's County has been a priority to get more officers trained. Um, and Brandy James is actually our point of contact as our crisis intervention team coordinator for the region. Um, she serves primarily the five counties, but also does some support work for Cecil County as well. They have a trainer up there. But those dollars, we monitor that activity to make sure it's actually happening annually. And we've done more, ex far exceeded the number of trainings than we're required to do. Um, so there is that availability and I'm happy that we can be offering it now virtually because there was concerns there for a little while that that wouldn't be an allowable um, training um, delivery, um, but it doesn't look like the virtual world's going anywhere anytime soon. Hi. So we have to continue to do the work and have officers train. But I will say, you know, even learning today on our conversation this afternoon, there's been some resistance around you know, yes, the, the the new changes with how some police departments and some jurisdictions are receiving them. Um, not necessarily here, but I've, we've had some conversations with our Cecil, Cart Cecil County partners with there's been some challenges in the county up there, unfortunately. Um, so really having to do some reorienting to the importance of how police can be a sensitive and, and part of the team, part of that behavioral health response team, trying to re-educate re community members that, look, this training exists. There's a large percentage of it going on in your departments that are serving your county. Um, and it's important to understand that they that we have folks that are serving that are very well equipped to respond. Um, but one of the complementary things is also making sure that police know how to contact mobile crisis they are always available to be sort of a dual response. And we've really nurtured that and encouraged that. So with our mobile crisis teams a year ago going 24-7, we've actually required that from midnight to 8 a.m., if they are called to respond to a behavioral health crisis, that the police do sort of a dual responding because of the after-hours nature of the activity, just to make sure everybody's safe. 
So that relationship's there, and um, I'm very happy with Brandy James. She's been in the position almost five years, and she's really developed some nice relationships with. I, it is, to me, it just seems that that's that's an uh, an important component these days Absolutely. of law enforcement that that they get into situations and and the ability to recognize perhaps a behavioral health issue mm-hmm. with with who they're dealing with sure. and a clear understanding and then that changes processes mm-hmm. on, on how they handle a particular situation. So I guess my question was, our sheriff's office is is working with your organization to help with that training they're working directly with brandy i mean that her her role is to maintain that outreach and that connection and that relationship but we also um have a forensic mental health work group where we've engaged a lot of law enforcement leadership and of course we're complimented with being able to see those folks at our um, local drug and alcohol abuse council so we the, the, there's a knowledge that it's a, available, and I know Brandy actually sits on each of the local drug and alcohol abuse councils and has a good relationship with each um, law enforcement leadership. Um, and I think it would be important. I mean, you know, we're not a large county, so right. I'm sure that the law enforcement officers in our county know who these folks are. Oh, yeah. Recognize names and addresses and things, sure. so they know when they're Absolutely. responding to a call there. They know ahead of time what they're dealing with. At least that's what I would hope. Well, and you know, we've had a couple of situations this year that we've also supported some complex care planning for individuals coming out of the state hospital that are residents in the county and making sure that before that person returns to living in the county that law enforcement is aware of some (coughs) some of the complexities uh, or needs of that person. So in the event that there were a phone call, they might say, you know, I'm aware that this person may have some extra needs, it might be good for me to engage, you know, an officer that is CIT trained if I'm not in responding. You um, said C- what, what? crisis intervention team. Okay. So the, it's actual an actual internationally recognized okay. training. CIT so, trained. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, we try to be, we try to anticipate situations as well and making sure that um, you have your, your, your supportive entities in the county aware if there's perhaps someone that might be more vulnerable coming back to the community that you know that we're supporting their needs as well as you know folks that could be supporting them in a crisis so we don't want that to happen on the back end if we can help it thank you mm-hmm. i don't have any further questions okay then. <laughs> ready ready <laughs> No, Audra, yeah, you stepped out. You had stepped out for a minute, and Audra. Oh, she already went through. Okay, oh, she already did her stats. That's right. <laughs> okay. Was there a freeze? That's okay. <laughs> rewind nope, the tape. Nope, we're just ready for questions. If there's oh. any questions, yeah, any okay. questions, or of course, you know, we, we our hope is that you will continue to support us to serve um, in the core service. Well, we did the agreement in in May. We did do that. I haven't work. done the agreement. No, I sent I sent the agreement with the paperwork, the letter. Actually, it was, I just checked. It was not in the paperwork. Yeah, I was going to say, oh. we don't have it. Oh, that's bizarre, because it was included in all the attachments. Right. Yeah. Sent. Oh, right. Back. I just checked again, it wasn't. You might have gone to Caroline County since then. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Touche. It was not the Caroline County one. But um, I could resend that to you. I think Roslyn, in our office, had forwarded all the documents. Oh, okay. Well, we will send that over. And I think it's approved next week. 
That's right. fine. Yep. Yeah, sure. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I apologize for that. No problem. No, we want to make sure we get it done. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So does anybody else have any other questions? Thank you very much. Appreciate right. you coming Thank you. in. Appreciate it. Yes. Very much. Thank you. And we'll get that taken care of at our next yeah, meeting. I'm sorry. I, I will have her send that to you. Okay. Commissioners, that brings us to uh, press and public comments, part two, but I don't see anybody out there. In so the, we're, we're going to just skip right by that. So we are. Okay, then. Very good. So we'll go right around to the round commissioners. Table. Round table. The catch a plane, Jack. You, you get, you're up first. All right. Um, so first, I guess, uh, since our last meeting, we had a little thunderstorm come through. Um, <clears throat> obviously wreaked some havoc and uh, on our poor sewer system up there in Kent Island, and I just want to thank all the guys that worked up there in, in, the, in the sewer district and what they did and the hours they worked to try to get things back on as quickly as possible. It was a miserable situation, but unfortunately, it's, the, it's a vacuum system, and with that much water infiltration, it's very hard for the plant to keep up, and that's, you know, it's just the nature of the beast, and it's always been that way, but I, I give them, you know, I know they were working around the clock to get people restored, so I want to thank all of them. Um, secondly, some good news today are actually started yesterday, uh, which I don't know that it got a lot of fanfare, but our 4-H kids are out showing their animals. Um, so even though we're not all getting together uh, like we would normally be doing this week at the 4-H park, uh, at least the kids are out there and they're getting to show off all the stuff they worked on this year. And uh, Todd is going to get out the live auction for them to be able to sell their beef and pigs i believe is friday at some point so uh we're going to try to get a press release out to let everybody uh participate in that because that's always a pretty pretty big deal over there and that's how the kids make their money going into next year for their animals and stuff like that so um lastly i just wanted to quickly kind of because i Bi-monthly, I try to do Kerwin, but it's, schools have been on hold, but I'd still rather bring it up to date to where we are now. Obviously, most people know that it did pass the legislature. The funding mechanism passed the legislature last year. Um, the governor vetoed it as well as the uh, school construction bill for obvious budgetary reasons. Um, so right now, Kerwin sits in limbo. It cannot be put back on until the legislature reconvenes, which they have – that I've heard they have no uh, – that's not going to happen until next year at this point. So, um, stands. so right. So, so just to kind of, I mean, refresh everybody's memory. So, Kerwin, basically, the way it stands now, the legislation was passed two years ago. There was an initial funding mechanism arm put in place, which a lot of people called Kerwin Light, which covered the first two years of Kerwin, which we are now obviously we just budgeted what is the equivalent of the second year. So more or less as we move into next year's budgeting process starting in November, and this, this kind of uh, also spins up for the, the Board of Ed to look at too, you know, we kind of start in November, but the legislature's not going back to January. Um, I'm assuming that they're going to take this up as an immediate priority to figure out what they're going to do. Um, I don't want to speculate on where it's going to go, but I've got to believe with the budget crisis where it's at, I don't believe the state is going to be able to uh, come up with their share of what they were going to for Kerwin. And honestly, that was one of the biggest reasons when I sat there and voted against the funding mechanism. And when I raised that question, I said, look, I'm not so much worried about what the counties can do 
and, and how they can meet some of these obligations. My worry is that the state won't meet their obligations, and, then, and history has shown us when the state can't meet their obligations, don't have the money to meet their obligations, they typically push it down to the counties. Um, we've, we've had those experiences in the last 10 years to the tune of what is the equivalent of about $9.5, $10 million in the county budget between highway user revenues, teacher pensions, and things like that. So, um, like I said, right now, I think the key component and what our teachers may want to think about, and, and again, this was a red flag that was raised in a lot of conversations, is the additional funding that has come into teacher salaries in the last two years will basically, without a new plan or a new funding mechanism, will more or less expire um, because what is funding them now will not be there next year, the additional uh, close to $800,000 that's been jolted in um, that's gone to the teacher's salary. So, again, there's a lot more questions, I think, than answers on it now, but everybody's got to remember the policy is in place. The standards are in place. The funding mechanism is not in place. And, and, and at a $4 billion price tag, that's a pretty scary uh, proposition that the funding is still in question. So that's all I got. Very good. Mr. Wilson. <laughs> well, I note that our, uh, our infection rate is more migrated uphill again, making us, I think, at this point, unfortunately, second in the state. And I, any time we get that kind of a distinction, I suspect it very likely is the result of a small testing base rather than a high infection rate. But I think in the next two-week period, we're going to get Doc to come in and because it's not a distinction that I want us to have. Right. Sure. I think that we need to clarify that, and I don't want the public to think we're a highly infected area. In fact, our average citizen is, I think, amongst the lowest in the state. But I agree. I agree. I, it's just a I number. I want that number straightened out, if it isn't accurate. That's it. Mm, believe Three follows two. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, I just have one thing. I want to. I want to also. Um, show my appreciation and thank county staff for their response uh, during the storm. But um, really, more specifically, uh, the, after the storm, um, I recently purchased a bike from the bike doctor um, and have hit the trails that we have here in the county. And I have to tell you, I rode the two days after the storm, and the trails were all clear. Everything in the brush and everything was cut away, and people were back out on those trails as if Mother Nature hadn't done anything. So kudos to, I guess, Parks and Recs um, clearing that trail, and that's a, that's a lot of trail. And, and as you ride or you walk down that trail, you can see the carnage that was pushed out of the way and, and a lot of the standing water because of the amount of rain we got. So kudos to Parks and Recs for clearing those trails. That's it. That's it. All righty. All right. Well, Counselor, thank you to uh, Commissioner Dumanel for shopping local when you got your bike. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a cheesy plug for yeah. bike doctor. Um, I, I also want to um, commend the staff uh, of the entire county on responding to the storm uh, and also say thank you to the utility workers that come in here to try to get the power back up. I mean, there was a lot of wind. A lot of that was down, and we can't, you know, 
forget them working around the clock as well. I know some people were frustrated that maybe their power was out for 10 hours or longer, and I totally understand that frustration. But those utility workers were out there working hard, and let's not, you know, sort of the another one of the unsung heroes. Let's, let's not forget them. Um, I want to wish a happy birthday to my grandfather, John Nutter. He is 95 years old today. Ah. Um, and probably irritated that he's still alive at 95 because that's just his personality. Um, <laughs> but happy, happy birthday to Grampy then. Um, and then I want to touch on their, their – I can't let this go by without – facing it, there's a discussion that's been going on in the community on race. And obviously racism is a terrible thing. Um, it's terrible for the person who is on the receiving end for it, and it also impedes a community's ability to flourish. So it's, it's – it's something that um, I know citizens have been having discussions about. I would encourage them to listen to when Commissioner Moran was reading about the pillar of respect earlier, and that in having these conversations, re remember the pillar of respect when you're in, in, in engaging with community members that have different views than you, that you are, you're listening to them. Um, we've talked in past meetings about, you know, there's a lot of people talking at each other instead of talking with each other, and I think that in this community, we all have a lot more in common than we have different. And when we focus on those things that we have in common, we're able to then have respectful conversations about things that we may not agree on. And uh, you may persuade somebody if you have a, a respectful conversation. So I would encourage people um, to engage in those respectful conversations. Um, everybody has different life experiences, different challenges and struggles that they approach a conversation from. And with an approach of understanding, I think we can see more um, fruitful conversations that would emerge from that. My sense on that. Good. Yep. There we go. Okay. I just like you know uh, touch base on today. Jack and I met as we do at the beginning of every month with uh, Dr. Kane and, and some of the board members from the Board of Ed just to go over what's going on in the school system, uh, what can we do for them, what can they do for us, and and just general questions. And you know, as everybody knows, we're starting this year off virtual. And we're going to stay virtual till things get better. Uh, but virtual doesn't mean no classroom instruction at all, which was good news today to find out that, uh, you know, they're bringing up to 15, teacher included and students, up to 15 in a, in a classroom setting uh, for those that need face-to-face -face instructions that may be struggling. And, and you know, so I, I, kudos to our teachers and to uh, – our Board of Ed for approving that and getting that done, and, and uh, hopefully that will help so people don't fall and lag behind because that's one of the concerns that we all have uh, with how long this goes on where, uh, you know, the, the virtual learning is the only choice. And, and it sounds like our, our Board of Ed is, is right out there uh, trying to improve on, on that situation. So kudos to them. The other thing i like to talk about is, uh, you know, Mr. Wilson and the senior statesman and I, uh, had our first meeting with the uh, Baybridge Reconstruction <laughs> Advisory Group, and uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I don't know how much we're going we're to have as far as teeth are concerned, but we do now. There is an open dialogue with what's going on. Uh, for instance, the steel plates on the bridge is is a major hassle. They're one inch thick. They're they're they you have to span the the thickness is there to to span the distance and the weight for the control joints that they're redoing below them that have to cure for 28 days uh, before they move them on to the next joint. It's a two-year project. They'll run all the way through probably November. When it gets cold, they'll stop. 
They'll start next March, depending on the weather. But next fall, they'll be done with all the joints on the westbound bridge. So it's not going away. Uh, it's, it's, it's an inconvenience, but it needs to get done. Uh, also, the, the railings. Uh, I was, it was interesting because we've been hearing for two years now how they're replacing and, and working on all the railings on the westbound bridge. Well, there's 200 and I'm going to be wrong here. I think there's 206 or 236 posts that has to be replaced. To date, there's only, they've, they've replaced six. So, you know, they've got a long way to go there. Uh, the painting on the westbound bridge looks like it's uh, coming to a completion. They're, they're removing all the scaffolding on there, so that's good news. And the eastbound redecking is uh, two years away. It's two years away from, from happening, but it sounds like it's going to be all precast, made somewhere else, brought in, cut the sections out, and replace them every evening. So that hopefully will not impede traffic too much. Uh, for all the construction that's going on along Route 50, uh, right now it's going on mostly westbound. On Kent Island is a new gate system, and uh, we did post that to our website, didn't we? I believe so, yeah. yeah. If not, it's a new gate system that, so that we can get rid of all these cones that are strewn all about uh, Queen Anne's County and, and Anne Arundel County. It helps, you know, control the traffic. Uh, as far as the traffic's concerned, the only silver lining to COVID is that even though we're not seeing it, uh, the backups aren't as well. We are seeing it, but the backups aren't as intense and as the duration as in as long as they were last year, and the, and the amount of the backups. So that's the blessing for COVID. So the more that they can get done now on these bridges, so that when that traffic, God willing, there's a vaccine and things return to normalcy next year, you know these things will be out of the way. So we're there, there's a long way to go. We sent Queen Anne's County sent a long list of uh, requests and or uh, suggestions to the state and we've received nothing back so far and we are doing our due diligence we are being polite and respectful of the state uh but uh hopefully you know if we we'll give them a little bit longer and then uh We'll see what happens. So it's killing me, isn't it? Yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm good. Turned over a new leaf. Have you? I'm, I'm good right now. I'm good. Jim. Woosa, woosa. Okay. Um, I noticed that on the plates they put the orange. Uh, that was in re- that was in a request that we made. Can, you, can, can, can they do it on the back end because the drop? Well, what that's, they need that's to do. literally where you get to me. That's where you get the big hit. Is not so much well, where you're going up. Todd's going to draft a letter for me, for us, uh, to the state about the steel plates. They need to have, personally, I think on the leading edge and the, and, the, and the backside edge, they need to be two feet longer, and they need to right. taper from the one inch to an inch and a quarter, whatever it is, down to nothing. Right. Because it's, that's, I mean, anybody that drives over the bridge sees everybody slows down yeah. to go over them. Right. And that's causing a lot of these backups eastbound and westbound. So I think that, you know, if, if it's a two-year project and there's only three of these plates, and again, on the Bragg meeting I asked, it's a long bridge. If you're going to disrupt the traffic, let's do six at a time. Let's do seven at a time. I mean, I'd rather go through this pain and be done by Thanksgiving, just like they did with the redecking, than have to deal with this next year when possibly things could be much better and much greater backups. So, you know, to me, asking, and we, I asked in the, in the phone conversation, why can't we do more and didn't get a, didn't get a response. But I still think we should ask for enlarged plates so that it's not as drastic and people can continue up at at least at 40 miles an hour because honest to god they're slowing down to 15 miles an hour 
It's oh, crazy. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. it's just... It's like a, a traffic control device in a community street. Right. right. Yeah. It's just... I mean, you know, in the morning, nobody slows down. I mean, it's, it's, the commuters don't slow down. They hit that thing full board. They just are holding on to their coffee cup when they do it. You know? They're not leaving that on the dash. So, so Steve, yeah. Yeah, well, right during the, the uh, telephone conversation we had, I wanted to, to say and intrude into it, but we've been muted out of existence. Yeah. Which, public doesn't know, but the commission was turned off. So right. And, and that will be rectified at our next meeting, so, which we, so we'll, we, we will give them access. Even then, during the meeting, draft a note to Pines mm-hmm. saying if instead of having a transition that was a wedge about this wide, right, four inches. it needed to be a foot wide and oh, yeah. describe the whole thing, Steve right. Cahoon drew these, uh-huh. and we sent them in, and Pines gave a response which didn't really answer that question. But plainly, if you put, made a foot wide transition, absolutely. You know, it all depends on the speed. At three miles an hour, it's not a speed bump. Right. At a hundred, you'd go airborne. Right. But it's rough, and Big. our patients going over. You got to ride an ambulance someday and see what it's like. It's like lying in the bed of a pickup truck. <laughs> if you had a broken bone, you'd scream. I'm hoping not. You know to what? Ride the ambulance. I, I've ridden in the back of a pickup going to the emergency room. I, so. have to, I have to tell you, riding in the back of one of those heading to Easton, um, there are some sections of Route 50 that'll, <laughs> if you're a patient riding in the back, yeah, you'll actually leave your. I went airborne. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not supposed to fly in an yep. ambulance. Like, can we go back and get anyway? <laughs> we wrote them about that. We didn't really get a great response. Well, we're gonna we're gonna write as a as, as a commission that same letter, and we'll give we'll give them due time. Yeah. And then but, we'll but release that hammer. Let me, That's right. Let me point out two more things. <laughs> they have to take the plates up every night. Not every night. Only only till they report that section, and then they leave it there for four weeks. Right, but you wouldn't have to move these because they're not over the space. You see what I mean? So you could leave those transitions. Oh, correct. Right. Yeah. And if the they're other, separate pieces. Yeah. And yeah. Well, they should be. And the second thing is they're going to use those almost same plates on the eastbound. We heard about that at one point. Mm-hmm. So these things would be have the same use there. So it's worth doing. Right. Some some pig iron. That- about a thousand bucks versus the hundreds of millions of dollars being spent up there. Oh. Anyways, okay, so that's all I have for right now, so I'll entertain a motion. I make a motion that we adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you very much.